Hey, welcome to the Parallax Podcast. I'm Liz Brown. I hope that wherever you may be listening to this episode, you're keeping safe, healthy, and doing the best you can to remain positive in these trying times. In this week's episode, I sat down for a Zoom conversation with Mari Porter to talk about city government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic in Philadelphia. Mari is the Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy and Strategic Initiatives in the Mayor's Office. That means she's tasked with shaping and advancing high-priority policy objectives for Mayor Jim Kenney's administration. It's work that requires collaborating across departments of city government and with partners in the private and philanthropic sectors to deliver on the mayor's top policy initiatives. Mari is originally from New Zealand, and she's worked at different levels of government, city, regional, and federal, in countries across the globe. Her career began in New Zealand, where she worked in Auckland's regional council. She then moved to the UK, where she became a policy advisor in the office of the deputy prime minister. Then in 2010, she arrived in Philly and took on a role as Deputy Director of Finance for Recovery under Mayor Michael Nutter. With all this experience, it's Mari's belief that cities are the place where most innovation happens in government policy. Unlike at the federal and state level, city governments have close interactions with their constituents, and they're required to make responsive decisions at a much faster pace. I talked with Mari about this in more depth. I also gained insight into what it's been like inside city government over the past few weeks, how COVID-19 is forcing the city to innovate, and the long-term impacts that this crisis could potentially have on city government policy. So you're currently Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy and Strategic Initiatives for Mayor Kenny. Can you explain what that role entails? Sure. So the role entails, you know, working with the mayor, working with his chief of staff, leadership across the administration to set strategic priorities for the city of Philadelphia, and then also really to, I would say, support cajole, cheerlead around those strategic priorities. There are a lot of really amazing people in government um, and partners that we work with. So for example, if it's pre-K, community schools, rebuild, the Mayor's Inclusive Growth Strategy, Zero Waste and Litter, and many others, my role is to really support those departments and those leaders but also we do what's called a regular stock take. So every quarter or whatever the right cadence is, we really have people come and tell us how they're doing on these strategic initiatives, you know, troubleshoot, make sure they have the right resources, but also get really clear and set clear expectations of what the mayor is expecting from, from you know, leadership and others in terms of his strategic priorities. And you've you've worked in government in other countries uh, at at both local and national levels. Could you talk a little bit about your experiences in in New Zealand and the UK before you came to Philly? Sure. So in New Zealand, I've got a, a planning background. I'm an urban planner. So kind of shout out to all the urban planners around. Uh, there's a lot of us, especially in kind of strategy policy roles uh, across government and, and you know many other places uh, in Philadelphia. So really in urban planning, uh, working in planning for about five years in New Zealand, and then moved over to the UK in my late 20s. And worked for a London Borough of Southwark and then really transitioned out of local government into, we call it national government, federal government is the equivalent here, and uh, worked for the Deputy Prime Minister's office and then Tony Blair's office. He had a unit called uh, the Prime Minister's Delivery Unit. Sounds fancy. Yeah, fancy, right? So it sounds <laughs> like a maternity unit when you say delivery unit, but it was actually helping the Prime Minister really set clear goals and outcomes for big, large federal slash, you know, national spending agencies. So 
for healthcare, which is actually run by the government. In the UK, it is reducing waiting times from, you know, this sounds crazy to Americans, from 18 months down to eight weeks. So kind of helping to set big priorities and outcomes and then working with those big federal, those kind of national agencies to help project manage and meet deliverables. And if they didn't meet deliverables, we would kind of go in like a consultancy We were half civil servants, half of us were civil servants, and then half of us, half of them were like McKinsey, Deloitte types, and we would really work with agencies to get get their performance up. And it was really around things that the the Prime Minister had said, had publicly and politically put his career on the line for a lot of these things. So um, the pressure was on. (laughs) I'm sure it was. (laughs) It also sounds like a lot... And and I understand. I, I mean, I went to school for urban planning, and then I ended up doing this kind of stuff. So <laughs> it's not an easy job. No, but I think the skill sets that urban planners have is you can really see the big picture, and you can see the connections between different things and different sectors. And I think that's why there's so many urban planners in very different roles, including yourself, because you can probably be able to thread a whole lot of different, whether they're issues or what's happening in a city together. And I think that's just a, a particular way of looking, especially at cities. I mean, to be an urban planner, you really are an urbanist. And um, like me, like love big, dirty cities. Um, one reason why I'm here in Philadelphia. And I think that's it's a, it's a gift, uh, well, or rather an, ex, an expertise that um, I've just really leaned on in my whole career. How long have you been in Philly? Uh, 10 years. Oh, that's about almost the same as me. Yeah, it's about the same. The funny thing is, I I believe your your first job in Philly was as deputy director of finance for the recovery during um, the Nutter administration following the 2008 recession. I actually went to school for urban planning because I heard that during the recession, it was going to be one of the best jobs to to take you know there there was a lot of work when I graduated yeah. it was just still really difficult right. but can you can you explain uh, the type of work that you were doing uh, in that role following the recession yeah and I, I will say it's it's really a great surprise to me that I'll you know explain what we did then but actually having to draw on we're now having this, a similar conversation in, in city government now about the things that worked in terms of recovery in the last time and and what we should adapt but also change things are slightly different so in the last recession coming here in 2010 President Obama was pushing out a, a lot of money stimulus money to states and cities and my role was really uh, working across the administration but was to really attract, be highly competitive, make sure Philadelphia got as much of that stimulus money as possible across many different issues, whether it was transportation, public open space, police, um, having our streets paved. In that recession, there was a lot of basic municipal services like police and you know street paving that was included, as well as, I would say, more progressive policy priorities of the Obama administration, like sustainability and really thinking about a more green economy. So my job was to really look across the city, but also look um, really understand federal funding streams and just make sure we were super competitive and like pulling down as much money as we could for Philadelphia, which we did really well uh, compared to other cities, and then pushing it out and working working with 
the bureaucracy and working with people who are really great at operations to push that money out and to push it through ethically and to really get it out on the street. And really the ultimate goal is to create jobs. Yeah. Creating jobs is always the big one. I think that's I think that's the scariest thing right now is that so many people are losing their jobs with the COVID-19 crisis. And it's difficult because I work with startups and we've been having all these phone calls about, you know, what's going to what's going to stay and what's going to go. How many how many of these companies that we're that we're losing right now or they're losing teams are actually going to last and how many new companies are going to start out of this as well? Because I I do think that people always find a way to innovate in tough times. They do. They do. But it's, it's, you know, I think what's so different about this crisis is I would say like, it's just been so sharp and sudden that, you know, it really was like the light was switched on and off. And I just, that, that, that the fastness of the pace is such that, you know, I think cities are really trying to step in governors, mayors, are doing what they can. I mean, the city just put out, you know, a fund for small businesses. You know, it got overrun in days. You see mayors and governors, as I said, de Blasio, Cuomo, Mayor Kenny, many others, like really trying to try and fill that gap. But the because it's so sudden, the need is so great that that is where the federal government does come in. And I will say in the last recession, there was a competent federal government in place. And I'm not trying to be political about it. Um, you know, Obama was just new on the job, but it was competent. And and throughout the agencies, there was a lot of competence. And I think what's concerning this time around is this is government's moment. And this is when government needs to operate really, really well. And you need to be able to get out of government, not, not speeches and all the kind of, even my work, like high policy work, it's actually, can government operate? fast and that is where I think is the concerning part for this recession is because that federal government is not operating fast to get resources to whether it's startups or small businesses so mayors and governors are trying to step in but that's you know we really need the federal government I I will say I'm not gonna it's not all doom and gloom but and and the stimulus bill the one to come out recently three does have a lot for businesses and residents, which is great. But again, it's the, the scale is such that we really need the federal government to operate at a really high level. Yeah, it's been it's been really challenging to uh, to hear how many people are going through just so many different things. I think the things that just so deeply worries, I know many people in Philadelphia is we were the largest poorest city before this crisis. And it's, you know, this is the thing that's really, it's also keeping us up awake at night is how our recovery and our response and really uh, focused on people who are in poverty. And now there's going to be a lot more people who are struggling. And that's, you know, again, that's where government and, and the private sector and, you know, philanthropy and others really need to kind of come together. Yeah. What, what have the, the past few weeks been like for you? Um, intense, (laughs) uh, but I will say that, you know, there are people in government, our, 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 you know, our police commissioner, our health commissioner, our managing director, our chief of staff, you know, our mayor and many others who do 
operations. And this is what this is about right now. It is, as I said about the federal government, it's, it's high operations. And so I think what, I've, what I um, have seen and observed is, you know, we activated our emergency operations center fast and there are watching people um, who are really good at operating government, um, who are highly competent is I was so reassuring <laughs> and that I just want people listening who are in Philadelphia to know that our health commissioner and our people who are in charge of operations are moving really diligently and fast and, and they're really thoughtful and smart and that you can, you know, we'll make mistakes. We, we, we all do. <laughs> we will all do. You cannot help but make a mistake in this fast pace. But I think just looking at how we got, you know, food to, uh, distributed through schools really, really fast, how we're also now having food for, uh, you know, across multiple sites across the city, not only for, for young people, but for seniors and others kind of rapidly responding to that. And they're now helping the school district um, procure and then distribute Chromebooks to kids who, you know, who need them. And, and I'll say the government isn't, it's a time for government to be really good at operations and we're doing that, but we don't do it alone. We are calling on the private, or we don't even have to call on the private sector. I will just give us, you know, there have been so many public and private organisations have stepped forward. So, for example, with the technology and the Chromebooks, you know, we are talking to people in our emergency operations who do events and big scale distribution fast. Like, so we're leaning on expertise if we think we don't have it and people have been great. So it's been a lot. What would you say has been the highest priority or the highest priorities for Mayor Kenny? The activation, obviously, of the Emergency Operations Center is really critical because that is where, with the mayor, the the daily by minute priorities are set. So I think the first one is really making sure that we have really sound public health decisions, and that's coming from our health commissioner, and then. It is then thinking through what are the operational consequences of closing a school. So again, moving really fast once the decision is made to close the school, then moving very fast to make sure our kids are fed, you know, and then really taking each decision. I'm saying with businesses, you know, closing businesses is not an easy decision. And then having to think really fast in four days, we need to stand up a fund to support businesses. And then residents really thinking about what a residents need and communicating that. I think the communications is we, you know, we've, we have daily press conferences, but really getting out to people the messages around, you know, stay home, stay safe is, is one of the biggest kind of priorities because that, that in the end, the messaging around people understanding what, what to do and why is, well, help us, you know, flatten the curve. <laughs> and that's really, really critical. I mean, some of my biggest concerns you've already touched on education and the food distribution and communication. I guess in, in terms of education, issues like the digital divide in our city, I mean, it's becoming extremely clear how many people don't have access to a home computer or the internet. Yeah, I, I know the city has responded in, in some ways that you already touched on, but could you just say a little bit more about how the city has responded and what else could be done? Yeah, sure. So I think specifically, again, you know, the question around priorities, you know, I think for me, Kenny, his first priority is always 
kids, young people, um, our children, our babies. So in terms of the digital divide, you know, working with the district, they already have approximately 40,000 laptops to, to procure another 50,000. I might've got those that way mixed up, but, and then, um, so Chromebooks, uh, and then partnering with, I always say, you know, kudos to um, the Roberts family of Comcast who made a significant $5 million donation. Um, the Sixers also just made a pretty sizable donation to help with the purchase of those. And so so we'll be over the next couple of weeks, two weeks, kind of getting those uh, Chromebooks out to families who go to the school district. So we're really looking at that, but hopefully, you know, that, you know, they will be school property, but, you know, also that's probably an opportunity for the family members to also be able to use those devices, which will be really important if you need to apply for unemployment insurance, for example, um, if you need to re-up on your WIC. You know, some various different benefits, having that digital access will be really, really critical. And then there is a COVID fund, um, and I believe coming into that for nonprofits, there have been technology requests that are coming in. So I think that's another way which we can respond. But we know that there's a lot more need out there, and it's normally that is satisfied through our public libraries and our rec centres who have these resources and other any number of community organisations that are open and have digital access. So, you know, I think, as you said, this has put a, a big spotlight on, on the, the gaps we have in our home. I, I will say, though, there are things like internet essentials where they are giving a very, very reduced rate of people's ability to access Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, I'm also thinking about things that I, I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about the the fact that a lot of people are being asked to work from home and how many people don't actually have access to a computer to yeah. even consider that. I mean, I imagine that there are a lot of people who do basic administrative roles that don't have access to a laptop through your job yeah. and, and can't work from home. Has the city thought about anything like that, enabling people to work from home? Well, I think from, from the city itself, from our, our organization, our 30,000 person organization, we have like the vast, the majority of the workforce that can work from home and jobs that can do not need to be on the front line. You don't need to be picking up trash. You know, you don't need to be making sure that the parks and recreation kind of center is locked. Or if you're not that kind of, I would say, operational front line, everybody is expected to work from home. And we have, you know, laptops for city staff and, and that and that kind of thing. So those those are available. So I think the municipal workforce on the whole, I'm sure there's, you know, gaps here and there is being given as many resources as possible. But I will also say, and I think this has been a good thing, my assistant who I work with, there's a, a range of reasons why it, you know, it's hard for her to be able to support me uh, at this moment. And guess what? You, you just have to like do your own administration, do your own meetings, do everything yourself. And it's, it's totally fine. You know, I think in, that's what everybody just, the new normal is at this moment, you have to do any job as long as it gets it done. And I think that's the kind of spirit where people are at. And I'm, I'm also thinking about some of, the, some of the other things I've been thinking about are a little off the wall, like students, yeah. students that were asked to go home, students that normally are really play a major role in the, in the local economies, yep. um, in economic multipliers within like West Philly and North Philly. Yep. Those neighborhoods are now empty. I mean, the stores are closed anyway, but- this is during the semester is really a big moneymaker for a lot of local businesses and restaurants. And I haven't really heard that many people talk about the, the, the fact that students 
really push a big part of the economy in a lot of the cities yeah. that universities are in. Yeah, and the vibrancy and the life of the city is a lot of it. It's driven by students. You know, I think the conversations we're having, and I think it's a great, it's a really great thing to bring up, and you know, to really think about that more is around our community college students who are Philadelphians and who who are all a lot of them are already economically distressed and kind of back to your issue also about digital access and I think community college is really trying to get kind of laptops and computers and technology out to those students but I think we're we're really worried about those students who already have food insecurity housing insecurity who have part-time jobs just to scrape by and now that maybe thin lifeline that they had with their part-time job is gone and we're worried about what the next, you know, the fall semester will look like when we start up again because that's a great economic engine for us, especially as we try and move our young people out of school, high schools, charter publics and all, all the rest and into a second-year degree. And I think that's that transition point and really making sure our community college is successful is, is something that we are really we're talking about actively with community college because the mayor before we in his last in his recent budget really wanted to make a, a pretty significant investment in, in community college because we know that kind of to your point that economic multiplier and that in these today a high school degree is not enough you need a you need a some form of post-secondary I mean I do a lot of work with disadvantaged um startup founders. And so I've been thinking about this too. I mean, people that are in school right now, if they get cut in the semester and they don't have a laptop, they can't participate in in their course online if they usually use the computer in the library like I used to. Yeah. I keep saying, thank goodness I'm not in college right now. I don't know what I would do as a as a student. I, I keep thinking about the fact that a lot of people really only have one opportunity to do things like go to school or start a business for somebody that's underrepresented and disadvantaged financially and doesn't have family to reach out to. I mean, you, you're pretty much out of luck in in this whole situation. I get I'm getting startup founders calling me uh, every day to ask for advice on how to how to generate revenue um, right now. And if they're allowed to work, some people aren't sure if they're allowed to work wow, at all. Interesting. <laughs> and um, it's just it's just frustrating. And and I think the 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 biggest part of it that that frustrates me is knowing that how many people are not going to be able to start over again. That this is it for 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 a lot of people. So I think it's I think it's really cool that the city's at least thinking about the community college students um, right now. I think that's really really important. And I'm I'm wondering what are some things that you feel are innovative that have come out of this, and um, what do you think will will stick, and what do you think we'll lose after? <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know it's trying to kind of put your head up right now when your head's just kind of you know everybody's head's just down and just focused on what's kind of every day in front of them. But I think you know I think when we think about beyond this immediate crisis. You know, I think, and I, I come from government, so, I, you know, best speak on that, is, you know, that we actually can do things really fast and we have been very rapid. And I think 
continuing to take those lessons through into the recovery phase. I think, you know, people do want more pace out of government. And so I do think there are things we have done, like, you know, stand up feeding all our children really, really fast, setting up these business funds really fast, setting up a big fund for nonprofits fast. Like there's a range of different things we've had to do fast and we've done it virtually. I think those are like, be great to do it under different circumstances, but I think and probably other organizations have found this, that there is actually a lot you can do virtually that you can get done. So I think that will probably linger and we can really think more about that. I think what's different, I would say, which I hope sticks and the lessons from, well, probably too early for lessons, but what was different from the last recession and this recession is coming out of the stimulus bill is giving money directly to people giving it directly, putting it in their pockets. The last stimulus money went to big business. It still does this time, but it went, you know, it went to big business. It went to states and cities and we, you know, we are diligent in pulling that out and it went, went to small business and it did go to unemployment insurance, but it didn't have like this time, basically a cash transfer, a check coming out of the treasury to help tide people over. It's not enough, but I think there has been in you know policy circles this timely debate around cash transfer and some call it ubi call it what you like uh, universal basic income but being comfortable as public and as policymakers to acknowledge that you know what people people in poverty everyday residents they are better at understanding their needs than we are And so it is more efficient to put money in people's pockets than to put it sometimes through the the morass of government, well-intentioned, but actually people know better how to pay their rent when their kids needs a new pair of shoes, you know, how they can manage their cash flow. And I think that I hope we can see the, the benefit of that. And I will say in city government, before this happened, we were looking at rental assistance and we can now see that's a pretty important, timely thing to look at from a public policy perspective. And one of the components of rental assistance, unlike um, housing vouchers from the federal government, is rather than giving it straight to the landlord, why don't we give that exact amount of money or you know, certain of that kind of equivalent money to the resident, give it to people in poverty. We were looking at people who are 80% or 110% of um, people in poverty. Rather than giving to the landlord, like they will know best how to, and I have respect for and acknowledge that people in poverty and any person really has a better understanding of um, of their own lives and I'm probably more efficient with it. So I hope that is more acceptable and that we can innovate and try different things based on kind of the stimulus and then, you know, and the cities cities and governors can innovate as well. Yeah, I think that would be really great. I think my my only thought around that is financial literacy education. And yep. And I will say in, in Philadelphia, we are blessed with a lot of really strong organizations who do financial literacy. And so, for example, when you there's some in housing counseling there's a lot which we do where you know you'll get a benefit but you will you'll have to go through some financial courses or whatever it is literacy to help you understand so i but philadelphia is 
is blessed with a lot of really strong community organizations who do that really, really well. I think another thing I would add that I've observed both in government and outside of government that silos are coming down. They have to come down in this kind of environment. And I think for too long, often we choose not to work with another organization or another department or another agency. We'll put up various reasons around why that is. But I think we often, uh, you know, as professionals, reinforce the silos. And I really see that really coming down and even both within government, but also I've been working on setting up um, PHL COVID-19 fund, which is a fund partnering United Way and the Philadelphia Foundation together alongside a lot of other philanthropies. And I've been amazed at how this crisis has forced and required these two organizations who haven't you know, worked that closely before have forced them together and how how it's working really well and how the philanthropic and nonprofit community is all the better for it and grateful for that kind of leadership. And so I hope that this is kind of forcing some realignment that we've, you know, as a city needed. And I'll say, you know, even as an organization that I'm observing, and it would be interesting to see other parts of the economy if they are also having to kind of come together and have relationships perhaps where they haven't had before. So I'm excited about that. Something else I thought was really exciting that the city's been doing is the food access and the, the free meals at sites across the city. Could you explain how that program was put together and how that works? Sure. So I'll, I'll go back to you know my theme of like competent people, competent government. And so, um, and just to be clear, I'm the policy person and, and, but there are really people who are at the operations level. So, um, with our emergency operation uh, center stood up, obviously that was identified, um, food access as a, as a key priority. So our head, um, deputy mayor, Cynthia Figueroa of our office of children and families, our um, deputy managing director, Tumar Alexander, Eva Gladstein, our health and human services leader, and and many others really came around and worked with the school district as well to really identify, you know, the schools, for example, that have refrigeration, first move, you know, really figuring out if we gave out meals, what schools have the capacity, like the physical capability to do that, looking at those issues and then looking at poverty across our city. Where is the need greatest? You're not going to put a food site, for example, in Fairmount, but you're going to put it somewhere else. So really looking at from a, a poverty and equity lens, where do we really need to stand up these sites? And then from there, with those kind of, I would say, operational and equity lenses, really looking at it. And then people get mobilized around just the pure, I would say the pure logistics. There's a lot in the logistics and then bringing in for the school meals that is federally funded. Like those are school meals that we get anyway. So there wasn't a, a lot in terms of needing to rely on partners for that one. That was really the city and the school district really kind of figuring that out together and then identifying the staffing. How do we have staffing for this? And as it's gone along, we're pulling in through Philadelphia Works. We've kind of started up really quickly a, a temporary kind of rapid response workforce program where we are getting people who um, have been unemployed because of the crisis and paying them with state money to basically be the the people who are helping with the food distribution. So we're trying to do the food, but also think about workforce at the same time. So I think that coupling those things together and again, just being really fast and rapid, but thinking, okay, here is our need. We need more volunteers. We'll get as many as we can, but 
there's also a workforce opportunity. Um, and then with the other sites, then that is relying on the vast network capability and breadth of partners like Phil Abundance and Share, who are some of the kind of largest food access providers in the city and partnering with them. And we have a weekly call with about 60 people from across the city who do food access. A lot of our providers, the people who are on the ground. And so it really took, again, uh, the people and the operations, um, as again, I mentioned, uh, Deputy Mayor Figueroa and others, really uh, looking at the resources that our partners have and really kind of methodically going through again with an operations lens and with an equity lens about where is the food needed most. Um, and so it's been pretty amazing uh, how much food there has we've been able to deliver. And I think the key thing now is being able to continue because we have to be at this a while, just sustaining that um, and making sure that our, our most vulnerable get food and they get good food, you know, not just prepackaged food, but actually making sure there is some, there's quality food available to them as well. One question that I've been getting from some people who I know could could really benefit from free meals is how are they packed? Who packs them? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's interesting, I mean, because people are already concerned about that when they're going to the grocery store anyway. So, I mean, to me, it's no different. But do you have any <laughs> information on how those boxes are put together for people that are concerned and that that could be the only reason why they're not going to get food? Oh, that's, that's that, And I've, I've heard this from a few people that I've let know, that's been almost everyone's response is, oh, you know what, I'd rather scrape by and go pick up my own stuff because I don't know who packs those boxes and I don't know what the process is because I've never done it before. And the same thing about uh, IDs. People don't need an ID no. um, to, to go pick up a box. I know some people have asked about that as well. Yeah, no, there's there is no ID. If you want a box of food, you turn up and you will get one. And again, I think I'll just say that is very much who Mayor Kenny is, like leading from the heart and instructing the people and you know who do the operations that that is the value that we have. We are not turning anyone away. Anyone who wants food, we will not turn you away. I think that's really helpful feedback and we can kind of maybe in our messaging get really clear about that. I'll say I haven't been to the site, but obviously I know lots of people who um, who do the packing. And I think what I can assure you from what I've heard from them is that they are there is a big food distribution warehouse as you would expect, and that they are they're gloved, they're masked, they're practicing social distancing, and that they're run by as I said these big providers who are really practiced at this. This is not this mom and pop shop coming together to figure <laughs> out, oh, I'll put an apple in here and a hot dog in there. These, <laughs> these are food safety standards. These are organizations and um, people who know what they're doing and then they're training volunteers because we do need more volunteers. So, you know, we'll be clear about it to, to do that. So I think that's really helpful feedback for us. I think to be able, if we're missing people because, which I understand of that concern, that we can be we can improve on just giving people assurance that their food, the food that we're giving is safe. I think another thing I've been thinking about as we look at turning our economy on, attracting businesses, attracting tourists, attracting ourselves back into you know the economy and, and into the workplace and into eating in restaurants is this issue around health and cleanliness as also a form of safety. 
And I think we're well positioned with our, you know, health kind of sector, our research sector, our gene and cell therapy to really accelerate and really push that as something that's unique for Philadelphia. But I also think as a municipal government, that label of Philadelphia, as as we want our economy to grow, people Philadelphia will not be good enough for tourists, for residents and for ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. So I think that will be interesting, this real view around health and making sure that we, you know, premises are clean, businesses, you know, how we operate in our public life. You know, many American cities are going to have to grapple with that, not just us, but I, I think that's, I would say, an opportunity for Philadelphia because, again, we have such a rich healthcare sector and we have the expertise and the wherewithal. We had talked a little bit about the previous recession and as someone who worked on the Obama era stimulus recovery following 2008 recession, could you explain how the two crises compare and what do you think is the major difference? Yeah. So I think, you know, the time, I mean, even though the last recession felt fast, actually compared to this, <laughs> feels like a stroll. Um, but I think, as I said, like the, the difference obviously is the sharpness as opposed to the last one. There was a, there was a steadiness to it, which this one is, is so sharp. And therefore the response is, there are some things that are similar. And then I think there's some things that are different. And I will say looking at, and I've got a mega spreadsheet in front of me, the stimulus bill, one, two, and three that have come out uh, from the federal government, there are characteristics on this which are different and actually better. And I would say that there are, as I said before, direct payments going to actual households, which is really critical. There is a lot more coming to, to business and small business. Now, they've still you know, done big business um, as they did in the last recession. But I do think, I think even people like Nancy Pelosi and others who were there the first time around learn some lessons around problems with the first recession where, I don't know if you remember, but TARP was the big kind of Wall Street bailout. That was gigantic. And that seemed to lead as opposed to money to city states and, and residents. So I think this time, I think there's still some of that because that's the way the federal government is, but it does seem a bit more weighted to actually households and those smaller businesses. Now we will see the proof will be in the pudding once the money starts to flow if that actually, you know, um, if there is money, yeah, that's, that's my biggest concern is, is there money to flow when this is over? Because there are so many people out of work. Yeah. I think, I mean, there, there is a lot of money that is going to be coming from the federal government. I don't think, and cities and states are saying this now to Nancy Pelosi, the white house and anybody who'll listen, it is not enough. So we should expect a stimulus bill for, to come out that is more heavily geared towards cities and states. If you just think about what Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo are dealing with now, they do not, there is more money that needs to come to cities and states because it's going to be New York and then it's going to hit maybe hopefully not that severe, but it's going to hit another kind of cities and states. So I think, yes, there is money coming. I think our concern and government is making sure that our residents especially those who are in poverty, understand how to access that money when it, and we're waiting for the guidance from the feds. So we're still waiting. I mean, people will get, if you earn under 70,000, you should get based on your prior tax return, you will get a check and it will vary. But again, I think for families 
who are low income, they may not have done a tax return. And therefore, if they haven't done a tax return, they could miss out. And so we need to get messaging out that you can actually do now when we're waiting for the treasury to, there's going to be a, like a simple tax return. Like you can just do one, like I didn't do it last year, but here's my simple form. Apparently they're working on that. And it's trying to, once that starts, that more information starts to flow from the feds, then we have to activate and make sure that our residents, I think that's our big concern, our residents and our businesses know what they're entitled to and they get it and that Philadelphia gets as much of that as possible. But, you know, as, as you rightly put out, it's still not going to be enough. And again, I think that's where, you know, I watched it in the last recession. That's where the power of cities really comes in and cities are where it's at. It's the power of mayors and really bringing, bringing the city together, the public, the private. And I think that is, you know, we're starting to think about this now. What is our recovery plan? It's not too early to start thinking about that. How do you get the word out to lower income residents about these programs? Yeah, so we're working on that now. We do have, there are, as I said, there are a lot of strong community organizations in Philadelphia. I think our our job with others and other civic leaders who are really respected in our communities, I think it's really using the bully pulpit of the mayor. You do, he does have a megaphone and using that, but then using multiple different channels, multiple different languages, you know, we've really had to step up our game and we've done it. Um, and we, we know we could do better on immigrant communities and English as a second language. So that's a big push. And then again, really using a range of different mediums, community uh, organizers and other people to, to carry the message. So that's that's going to be a big piece of work um, once we get clearer guidance from the feds and communicating that. I feel like we're often being reactive rather than pro- proactive. And, um, you know, h- how do you think we could be better, better prepared to weather a crisis like this hmm. um, in the future? Hmm. Mm, that's a big question. It's a really big question. I, I'll just tell you what I, you know, what I see, and maybe just a partial answer. But I, I do really believe in big city American mayors, and I do believe in cities and that level of, I use the word government, but that level of community, and. And I do think, and I having worked at that national level, and you've seen it now with this administration, when you're so far away from the people, your ability to move fast is is constrained. When you're at the city level, and especially in Philadelphia, you know, you do something wrong, you get really fast feedback. Part of the point of that, though, right, is that the ability to weather a crisis and be nimble and fast is about you have to be close to the people, you know, and you really try to have to understand. You also have to, you know, pull from our great institutions that we have here. But if you're disconnected from the people, then you're just going to miss. It's it's not going to fire. You're just going to miss fire. And so, you know, it's probably not a beautiful answer because I don't think there's any uh, crisp thing. But I do, I will say that I think what we've been encouraged about in government is, and it's not a, a soundbite, it's really true. In a crisis like this, people step up. 
you know, I think the first couple of days, it was like, you thought, oh my God, am I in a movie somehow? Like, is this this dystopian movie? And, and there's some, I think, stress and worry that could could it turn? But it, it doesn't. It, it actually, we have seen people like just rise to the occasion. My burger shop in my in brewery town, they have put a, on their window, children eat for free. We have been blessed and any any child can come in here and they can they can have a meal. Like just little things like that, but really like people people step up and we've seen that. Companies have stepped up and we've had so many phone calls to help. So I think maybe it's I'll transition this because it was a really hard question to answer. Is <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's taking me a while to think it is actually now it is about the it really is around the recovery. I think we, you know, we're all rapidly responding right now. It, it's about the recovery. And I think maybe what I've learned from last time to this time is, is having a much more unified approach to that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, I think you touched on some of the, something that I think is, is really important um, earlier on in our discussion, which is the things that we're, the things that we're taking out of this, the things that stick. I think that because this is a learning process for everyone, yeah, we're we're probably going to at least retain the lesson learned and and do some things differently around that. And I would say, you know, the last recession it 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 did leave scars and you know, even as a policymaker it it left scars for a long time in terms of how you make decisions, how prudent you are with your finances, why we have a rainy day fund now at the city, you know, like well, we did <laughs> until this recession. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, they do leave a mark. It does leave a mark. Sometimes you don't even quite know it. And I, so I think that'll be interesting. Time will tell, like, what mark has it left on us? And some will be deep and lasting and some will hopefully be transformative and in a good way. If people are looking for a way to get involved and help out, what types of things are needed and where should they look to see what they can offer? Yeah. So if you, if people go to the phila.gov slash COVID-19, our website, there is a lot of resources there I, for you. And we will, as I said, as the stimulus goes, we will update them so people can access resources and information. And then I think in terms of helping out, which has just been amazing, that people are, you know, are so um, open and willing and want to help is that in terms of donating, there is a fund that was put together, a, a you know, public private sector and government coming together. It's at www.phlcovid19 fund, which is really supporting nonprofits who are on the front lines of the pandemic. So those people who are helping those in homeless shelters, those who are helping you know, feed, you know, our young children and, and elderly and others who are helping with behavioral health service, public health services. So I think that's one just kind of way that you can make a small donation to help. There is also a small business relief fund uh, there's, um, that's open to small businesses and people, um, uh, we ex will accept checks um, at PIDC uh, for people who want to um, make a donation there to help small businesses. And then really, I think that the main 
miss and there is a sorry on the city's website there is also a place to volunteer so there are opportunities to volunteer safely and we are taking all the precautions and rules around that to really help volunteer to help whether it's around food distribution and other things but I think the the message and I know that Mayor Kenny uh, says this and really above all else is you know to help your neighbor to you know go shopping for them to leave it on their doorstep to call people to see how they are have a virtual happy hour I think we're all doing that now and actually it's not too bad but that that human connection uh and that supporting each other and our neighbor is really key and I think the other thing I'll just say is you know there's a lot for children to absorb at this moment so be careful and mindful of every the bombardment of uh messages that are coming at them but also be respectful and talk to them about it but i think really i think looking after our elderly and and our babies is is really uh, i think really critical thanks so much for listening and a very special thanks to mari for taking the time to do this interview and to each and every city employee essential service worker and medical caretaker working to keep philly residents safe and healthy Remember, if you're in need of any assistance or would like to help provide support, head to phila.gov COVID-19 for more information. If you'd like to share any thoughts on this conversation, be sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or send an email to info at parallaxcollab.com.